So, what amazing change between Friday and Saturday. Friday, Friday had some time in the garden. It was sort of, oh, this is lovely. Springs here. Looking at the buds coming out, daffodils, and next day, full colour, isn't it? Um, and I, I thought, you know, God speak to me a bit, a bit about this. How, how excited do you get when you see the first little buds of spring coming through? Some of you. Okay, so I, I, I like it. I like this time of year. I love seeing the little buds. And um, where we planted some bulbs, and I just, you know, looking for these bulbs, and you get so excited when you see this little speck of green appearing on the ground. You think, wow, yeah, woohoo! And you can look at it and think, that's not much. <laughs> and it's easily covered, isn't it? Because you know what? That, that has the potential for the whole of its life within it. Uh, this part of Christianity is you need to be, be able to be excited by the little thing that you see. The little activity of God is a, is a, is a demonstration of the presence of God. Okay, now, God doesn't come in, in, in smaller or bigger packages. He just is. Yeah? So any, 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 any time you get a sign of the presence of God, it means He's fully here. Not a little bit of Him is here. Does that make sense? So, 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 that's why I look around, I, I get excited when I see stuff, I think, ooh, just oops, multiplied some sparkly stuff or stones, or, you know, I, I hear a testimony of somebody getting healed, I think, wow, God's in the house. God's in the house. And, um, that means that the full potential of God comes with him. And so that's been something I've been, I've been mulling over recently. But how expectant are we of that reality that God's here? Just, just, just take a moment to think. If, if you really believe God is here, what's, what's the expectation that goes along with that? And um, I'm generally pretty, pretty laid back. Don't get irritated too much. But I found myself... Again, it's when, when, when I start to get irritated internally about things, I think, Ooh, what's going on? And uh, uh, I'm talking about spiritually irritated, not, not sort of human irritated. And so I want to, want to talk into that a little bit today out of a prophecy that we received on Wednesday. Now, it was, so I'm processing it now. So this is going to be a bit of a sort of hear my thoughts moment because this is, this is forming, even during worship, I think my thoughts are forming because on Wednesday, a friend of ours, um, Andy Merrick was here, and um, I'd just been up with him in Glasgow. Uh, I was in Holland last weekend, and then went on to Glasgow, working with some other churches. And uh, then Andy came down, and on Wednesday morning at um, our Global Legacy Gathering, um, uh, he actually brought a prophecy, and then actually I got him to bring it on Wednesday evening when we had our Apostles and Prophets Connect group here. Um, and... Uh, on Wednesday, so Wednesday morning was good. On Wednesday evening, I would say we had a moment with God. It was a moment. And, and I, I take, pay attention to moments of God. You know, there are little shoots just coming out of the ground. I think, pooh, something just happened. There's something, something's arising out of the ground. What is it that God's doing? Um, and the prophecy was a slightly strange one. Um, it, was, it went like this. It was... Uh, God uh, spoke to Andy few years ago, that actually there were going to be um, places where revival would break out, and said, like, like in the days of Noah. Now I think, in the days of Noah, that doesn't sound too, too promising, over. that doesn't sound <laughs> too exciting, um, and um, so, but he went on to explain that, and um, he also went on to explain that he, he doesn't feel um, free 
and enabled to actually just prophesy this wherever he goes. He's actually said only, only prophesied in one other place thus far, and that was in, in uh, Southern California. And after he prophesied it, the people took hold of what he'd said, and they had an outbreak of, of a move of God, which went on beyond a year. Okay, so, so, um, so what he said was this. He said that, that when, the, when the Noah's flood came, God's flood, but we call it Noah's flood, but the flood came, there wasn't just water that came down, but there was water that came up. So it's, it's not just that the, the, it was heavy rain, there was water that actually came out from the deep. It came out from, it burst up from the ground. It talks about the, the, the fountains of the deep let loose their water all at the same time. And, um, and Andy was saying that there's going to be a move of God where these two things are, are combined. Now that, that's been interesting because it started to, to get me going because I've been kind of, what I found myself irritated with um, is what I'm calling passive Christianity, which is just waiting for God to do, do it. You know, and always that sense of needy, I need more. Now I do need more, um, so don't hear me wrong, I always want more of God, but there's this sense of I'm just waiting for God to give me more and as long as I get the rain of heaven, the deluge of heaven, then we'll be okay. And I'm thinking, actually, I don't know what... And I was in a meeting in January where this was all going on. I thought, yeah, I've got a river. I've got a river inside me and surely that's enough. Have you got a river inside you? You have. He's called the Holy Spirit. It's inside you. He doesn't go away, does he? So you always have God inside you. So there's this, this strange deal where we've always got God inside me. The fullness of God lives inside me all the time, and yet I want more of him. But that's, that's this strange thing. I always want to experience moments of him, but I have a river inside me that springs up to life. Um, so so this, this prophecy got my attention. This is what I've been thinking about. There's, there's a sense of, there's something inside me that needs to burst out, this is the overflow, as well as actually understanding that God wants to rain down. You with me? So, so these two things, we need to actually, this has been going on in my brain for the last couple of months, and then Andy brings his prophecy, ah, this, this is important. And then Andy said, he basically released this, and he said that, that he believed that God was going to release a revival over the southeast of England at this time. Okay, now what do you do that? Well, you have to take responsibility for it. Because in some ways, you can. The word, the R word, as we call it, we're not that keen on it. The revival word. It's not that I don't like it, it's just that it's this sense. In my mind, I don't tend to use it a lot because it tends to lead to a very passive, well, when God comes, something will happen. When He comes, then everything will turn out alright. When He comes, people will get saved. When He comes, miracles will happen. Well, I, I, but what, you know, God called me to be responsible for the earth. You know, when God created the earth, he didn't say, okay, Adam, enjoy it. That's what you've got to do, enjoy it. Now, I'm sure he did enjoy it, but he said, actually, it's yours to rule. God came down, and he used to come down every day with Adam and Eve in the, in the garden, but they were, they were meant to rule. So we're meant to rule, but we're meant to rule with his coming upon us as well. Yeah? You with me? I'm, this is, I'm trying to get there. So it's um. So how about this? In John chapter seven, look at this. John chapter seven, verse thirty-seven says this: On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, "Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink." So are you thirsty? What do you do? You come and drink. And he actually says you'll never get thirsty again. But whoever now next, whoever believes in me, 
as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. There it is, you see. So you're meant to drink, but you've also got a river. These are two things that we have to hold in tension in our Christianity. It's like God's sovereignty, our free will. God is sovereign, our will directed towards that. The two have to work together in order for, I believe, the, the destiny of, and the, the will of God to be outworked in our life. If we just wait for God to do it all, we'll wait a long time because he has not chosen to do it that way. He can, he might, but he doesn't, generally speaking. You know, most people don't get saved without preaching of the gospel. Some do. Jesus turns up and most people don't get healed unless they, they come into an environment where, where there are people with faith actually expecting that. It can happen, but it doesn't often happen. Does that make, make sense? Yeah? So, so, so we have a responsibility. So I'm, I'm telling you, I'm trying to frame words around this, but I want you to be people who drink and flow. And when, when we have, have meetings, Christians who, who only continually drink but never flow just get soggy. <laughs> it, 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 another picture would be actually, it says that, that when the, where the river flows, there is life. Yeah? But, but where, where, where there's no outlet, you just get a marsh. You just, it, it tells you that. So, so, so the river flowing has to have an outlet. It's not just, it's not to, just to keep you topped up. Being filled with the Spirit is not, a, not, not just fill me from above. It's actually flowing from within. And as the river flows, there is life. So, so it made me think about moments. So on, on Wednesday evening, we were here, so we had a good time on Wednesday morning, but Wednesday evening, you know, I was leading the meeting and I was thinking, um, you know, we were going to push into this, wasn't quite sure what was going to happen, but God basically turned up. And it, there were people who were experiencing this part of the, the auditorium over here as if the, the floor was spongy. Watery, as if, if it was actually like water was coming up. This is, you know, Vicky said, this, before we went in to explain this, Vicky Shorts, he said, wow, it feels spongy. Somebody else actually um, <coughs> said it felt the same. Um, then the lady, uh, Liz Reed, some of you know Liz Reed? She said that she'd actually had a prophecy a couple of weeks ago, which she'd given to an individual, but then she thought it was bigger than that. And she said she'd had a prophecy about stalactites and stalagmites. Yeah? Stalactites? Stalagmites. Do you know how to remember that? Tights fall down. That's, that's, my that's what I was taught when I was at school. It's one of those little phrases you remember from school. It really amused me when I was a little schoolboy. Tights fall down. <laughs> stalactites. You've got this got you, okay? So you'll remember that forevermore now, won't you? You won't forget the stalactites. But stalactites and stalagmites are, are beautiful. But they're a little bit fragile on their own. What happens when they join together? You get columns. They're, they're completely different things. Stalactites and stalagmites meeting actually in, in the middle, they form something that is that is substantial and solid, that is that is built. It's not no longer a fragile structure that can be just snapped off. Thought, wow, God is speaking to us. <clears throat> he wants to build something that, that has the statue of columns, not just bicycles. So we had this moment, and God met many, but when you have moments, moments are meant to build to momentum. And um, I'm going to use some phrases around it. See, moments are not meant to become monuments. Yeah, moments are not meant to become monuments, they're meant to, meant to create mere momentum. 
Um, and uh, it's easy to park on, on moments and wish back towards moments, to idolise moments almost. Well, we had that experience with God, wasn't it amazing? Now, th- those, those moments are meant to build momentum in our lives so we flow further, further forward. So, um, I, I, you know, we have all sorts of strange experiences here at Eastgate, um, particularly the sparkly stuff and things turning into stones and, and feathers. And, and I've collected a few over the years. Um, anybody else collected some? No, no you, Laura, you collected some, didn't you? And you might still have some you've collected, but has anybody had the experience like me? See, I've collected some and put them in little plastic bags. And, and it's not uncommon for me to go back to that plastic bag and there's nothing in it. When this first happened, I thought, this is strange. Or I lost it, or something weird had happened. You know, well, something weird had happened. And I thought, what's, what's going on there? Now, I remember, <coughs> I think it was Laurie who said, actually, when you, you had the sparkly stuff at your house and the kids were thinking, playing with it, but it, it came and went, didn't it? Yep. And so I've been, been meditating around this. Um, God does not want you to take signs of him and camp around them. Yeah? He doesn't want you to take signs of who he is and camp around the sign. He wants you to camp around who he is. And I think he, he, he will remove things from us that would become like idols and relics for us. A number of years ago, somebody gave me a, 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 a handkerchief that had been prayed over by a guy called Mahesh Shavda, who has a very significant healing ministry in, in, in the world. So, so I had it in a little plastic bag. I carried it around in my, my case and went around with me looking for the opportunity to use it. Um, it has to be a big one. This, 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 is, a, this is for a biggie. You know? <laughs> it was, oh, it's funny how you get, somebody gives you one of these things. You think, what do you do with this thing? I was, this, this was, I, was, I was really grateful to have it, but I was in a conundrum of how to use it. This had been sort of entrusted to me, this, this, this thing. And I was carrying it around in my briefcase. I, Ooh, is this the moment to bring it out? And in the end, I knew the moment, and the, the moment was actually involved in, in a guy um, being raised from the dead and being brought back to fullness of life. That's when I used it, back in 1995. It wasn't in Mexico, it was in this country. Then I put it back in my case in its little plastic bag, and I thought, what to do with it now? I wonder how many times this thing works. <laughs> it was, I was thinking, <laughs> it, it stayed in my bag for a couple of months. In the end, I thought, you know, this is becoming a preoccupation, this thing. I don't know what to do with it. And I started to understand how, how the church got to relics, how they, they sort of venerated things and kept them in cupboards and to look at. And I thought, ah, that's the last thing I want. So, so I threw it away. Put it in, I put it in a bin. It was a very deliberate act. I thought, no, actually, no, I refuse to camp around a handkerchief. So when, when you have moments, you're meant to build from them, yeah? Pentecost was a moment. Yeah? It was a moment when God burst onto the church, but they were meant to, to build from them. It, it's interesting, in Acts 4, verse 31... Another moment of in, in, in the church's early history. Um, and they're praying all together. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. That's a moment. 
They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That shows you, actually, see, these, these are people who'd already been filled. So they were filled again. So I do believe in being filled again. But I believe in being filled continually. What I find with a lot of Christians is they believe in being filled again from a needy point of view because they get dry. So fill me up, you know, because I'm, I'm running out rather than, hey, I've got a river and sometimes I get moments of God coming upon me. This was a moment when I spoke the word of God boldly. Imagine that, if that happened here. Well, in one sense, there was some of that happening here on, on Wednesday evening when somehow people were experiencing the substance of this building in a different way. Mm-hmm. Something happened, but it, you don't park around it. You, you, okay. So, when, when, when Noah built his ark, go back to the days of Noah, God told him to do something. He had a moment with God. Good moment. God said, build an ark. So what did he do? The next day, I think. Well, I think he got up and chopped down some trees. And the day after that, he probably got down and chopped down, got up and chopped down some more trees. And the day after that, the same. See, Noah built an ark, plank by plank. It was his faithfulness that built something. It wasn't the moment that built something. So I want to tell you that I don't think moments build something. They give you an opportunity to build something. And it's faithfulness that builds. It's a faithfulness, but in the power of the Spirit. Not, not a faithfulness, just let's get on with it by hard work. It's a faithfulness, actually, of this river flowing, that, that flowing to life. But, but, <clears throat> but we must take notice of the moments that come. Because often God's speaking in those moments. Directing us, encouraging us. Um, and I would suggest try and be there for those moments, if you know they're happening. I remember when... Um, when the glory cloud was 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 around Bethel uh, on and off for a while, um, our, our daughter was a student over at Bethel at the time, and all the students were on high alert on their their mobile phones, and it, it, they were they, they, basically if it came boom they would drop everything and get there. Why? Because they wanted that moment with God. What what would you drop for a moment with God? Like that. Oh, I'm busy this week. No, Jen's fault. Now, what would you drop for those sort of... So, here's some other thoughts about events. Don't, events don't build life. If you had to choose between a good wedding day or a good marriage, which would you choose? I find so many people put so much effort into the wedding day that their marriage gets off to a shaky start. It's not good. Now, have a great wedding day, but, but actually you, you've got a marriage to build. Anybody know that they have to build a marriage? It doesn't just happen. Wedding day can give you a good start, but you have to build. How about having a baby? There's an event right there. Does that change life? <laughs> Watch on. People are saying, oh, desperate to have a baby. Yep. I don't know what you're asking for. <laughs> not, not yet, anyway. Because <laughs> nobody can explain it. There are moments in life that change life, aren't they? Remember when I was a GP, I had one of my patients who used to have real struggles with life, let's put it that way, up and down, up and down. And I worked it out in the end, she used to come and see me, and she used to, normally used to come and see me more regularly just after she'd been on holiday. 
it was interesting, so we used to, I talked about, she used to live literally from holiday to holiday. The only bits of life that she looked forward to were holiday. Oh, that's a sad way to live, isn't it? I said, you should, holidays are there for you to enjoy, but they're not, they're not the pinnacle of life. You've got Solomon on me now. So I, I enjoy my holidays, but, but, but holidays are there to refresh me for life, not, not, they aren't life. They're good, they're part of life, but they're not. It's like when people, I don't know, again, lots of people over the years say, oh, they, they decide they're going to go and live in another country because they've been there on holiday. You think, do you even know what you're doing? No, because living somewhere is not the same as being on holiday somewhere. Very different. Okay, back in 2008, this church had a moment with God. It was a very simple moment, it didn't look very profound at the time. It simply came as a question. When the leaders were away for a few days, and David Stevens over there, he said to me, Pete, have you ever thought of going to Bethel for a longer time? It was a question. Simple question, and I answered it. I said, I'd love to be there for a longer time, but life's busy, don't have enough time to sort of be there. I'd love to stay for a little bit longer, but I've got church to build. I've overseen development network churches in, in France, other stuff like that. And, but actually, all the leaders, and Donna, some others, actually, I'm not sure anybody else in this room right now, certainly David Webster was there, and they said, this is God. And, and within 24 hours, I had to clear my diary for three months and went off to Bethel for three months with the full backing of, of, of the, the, the leadership team who paid mainly out of their own pockets for that to happen. And we went, Kim and I went to Bethel for three months. Now I would suggest that, that question, that moment, which was stewarded in a way by a group of people who took it seriously enough to say, we're going to do this, and, and, and literally, you know, it was, we were completely humbled by how people enabled that to happen. One of the most humbling experiences in our lives was when a member of this church, who doesn't have a lot of money, turned up on our doorstep with an envelope and said, I want, to, I want to be part of this. I want to help you go. And in this envelope was £1,000 in cash. Just somebody who didn't have a lot of money said, I believe in this. It came from a question, a moment, just a question which we stewarded and then I would suggest a lot of what we've experienced in the last 10 years has been certainly shaped and formed by that. So this evening actually Danny Silk arrived back here to help us keep shaping Eastgate. But the, just a, a moment. Are you sensitive to the moments in life when, when God is actually just about to break out? I think he wants to break out here. Well, actually I don't think I know it. I've been reading about Azusa Street again. I keep on going back to Azusa Street. If you don't know about Azusa Street, Azusa Street is worth, it's worth reading. Um, there's a book there. They, to, they told me their stories. Um, stories from Azusa Street. Azusa Street was a place. It, is, it still is a place. It's a street in, in Los Angeles. And between 1906 and 1910, there was a movement of God there. And uh, it was so strong that... The glory of God, in a, like a purple haze, a cloud of the glory of God, remained in the building for three and a half years. People would walk into the building and cancerous tumours would just drop off them. Tell me your story.
You can get them on Kindle if you want to. Okay, so this, this, this is all going on here, okay? So, there's a guy called, they called each other themselves brothers and brother and sister, brother this and sister that. Brother Garcia, while trying to catch his breath, exclaimed, you've got to come and see this. The anointing is far beyond where it has been in the past. You have to come on down and see. Together, Bartleman and Garcia ran down to the station that was a half mile away from the warehouse. About the same. There they witnessed people come in from all over the world, get off the train, walk across the platform and fall out in the spirit, often speaking in tongues. Some man even commented that the phenomenon had been happening all day long. When Garcia first saw the people lying all over the platform area, he thought it was a disaster until he realised what was going on and ran to find Bartman. Frank had talked about a line or circle of blood several blocks around the Azusa warehouse where the power of God extended outwards. Several blocks before reaching the warehouse, people were being healed, falling out in the spirit and speaking, tongue, speaking in tongues for the first time. This was the first time God's power had reached all the way to Grand Central Station. Although no miracles were taking place, <laughs> the presence and power of God without question had now moved out a half mile from the actual warehouse. I long for, I long for this, not just that it's in this house, but actually all around this area that the glory of God is going on. <coughs> there, there were, Okay, here, 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 listen to this one. Okay, so this is talking about a man who'd lost, lost an arm in an industrial accident. Literally, arm had been pulled out of his fucking industrial accident. <coughs> brother, brother, Tommy, this man didn't have a ball joint in his shoulder. It had been ripped out. I was close enough to be looking right at the shoulder. All of a sudden, I saw the bones start to come out and then flesh started coming around them. This man's arm just shot out in what seemed a mere seconds as I watched. For Garcia, it seemed like he was watching this miracle in slow motion as he absorbed at what God was doing. Can you imagine that? Just story after story, miracle after miracle. Brother Garcia was the first to tell me of Seymour's. William Seymour was the man who led this, this movement. That in about 100 years, there would be a return of the Shekinah glory and a revival that would surpass the works of God at Azusa. In about 100 years from... 1910. So when are we, well, this is us now. This is our, our, our moment. It was prophesied. And I've got this strange discontent and content within me. The, the Bible t- t- tells you to learn the secret of contentment. And I am content. I'm, I'm not, not generally discontent. I'm, I'm content. I'm loving what God is doing. I love my life, I love seeing what God is doing, I love, you know, I enjoy God. But there's this strange discontentment within me, I think. There's so much more. And there are so many more people out there who don't know the love of God, this reckless love of God. We've got an amazing message to preach, haven't we? And uh, I I believe we've, we've just been... We're being shown another key, which is these two things of, of what is coming down, but what is bubbling up. It's this responsibility of, of God on us, God with us. He comes on us. I, 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 I've known moments like that. I've been literally overwhelmed by God. I've been in trances for you know, three hours, experiencing the lightning of heaven, you know, striking my body. During that encounter, what was interesting that when I was out in the, in the spirit, in a trance-like state for, for three hours, and, and my body was repeatedly hit by the lightning of heaven, and I was physically jerking all over the place, 
nothing I could do to stop it. In that moment, God, God allowed me to start throwing the lightning of heaven. I was talking to our students about it the other day. So, so God, God doesn't give you power just to show that he's powerful. He gives you power to make you powerful. <laughs> These are exciting days to live in, aren't they? But we have to take responsibility for the moment. And um, one of the responsibilities we have, actually, I believe, is this, is, is connection. God spoke to me about this. You know, because he, he's, he, God is creating a body, which is his church. And um, one, of the things, one of the reasons I think Wednesday was, 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 was actually significant was because we actually had a gathering here of, of, of church leaders not just from a part around this part of the UK, but also from Holland and from Scotland, talking about how churches can walk alongside one another in effectiveness and unity. We're, call, we're calling that living fire. And where brothers dwell together in unity, their God commands the blessing. I don't believe that's just about an individual church, I believe it's about churches learning how to support one another and encourage one another. It's meant to be like that. There's connection going on, but actually... Yeah, not that actually. It's really important that we connect to one another, which is why our connection groups are so important. They're not just a little midweek sideshow. God wants us to connect together, to flow together, to be more effective together. And I want to encourage you, find each other, be with each other, encourage one another, flow together. Pray for one another. Bless one another. I believe God's going to do something literally beyond measure. So we want to embrace that prophetic word. So I'd like to just take the last minute or so for us to stand together and embrace this word that God's given to us. So I want to give you an exhortation. I want you, to, I want you now to take responsibility for being revival. Okay, I decided a few years ago that I was fed up with waiting for it, I was going to be it. I enjoyed the moment, but, but I wanted, I thought, no, this is, I'm not hanging around any longer. I want us as a church at Eastgate to, to take on responsibility, and they'll be alongside other churches, but take on responsibility to seeing a move of God in this part of this nation that will change everything. I'd like to take responsibility for being good news for one another, encouraging one another. Take, take your responsibility for what it means to be part of Eastgate as it grows into the church that God's calling it to be. So Father, we thank you for speaking to us. Thank you. We thank you for visitations, but Lord, we cry out for habitation. Father, we want this to be your home not your house. I felt that's a word that God gave me. We want this to be God's home, not his house. Now when you, when you buy a house, you have to make it a home. Even yesterday, Kim and I, well two years on, we've actually put our paintings and photos up in our, in our sitting room. We're still making it our home. So Father, we pray for this place to be your home. And we pray for our individual lives to be a place where you dwell. And your power is manifest in us and through us. Amen.